you got your Bibles, open to John chapter 1. And uh, we're going to continue. We, uh, we, we've dedicated this first part of a year. Actually, every message is dedicated to this uh, hope and vision for our church. Uh, we live to glorify God. We say this around here all the time. We live to glorify God by what? By being disciples who? Nice. Hey, for the day, everybody, you got that one. Um, we're, we're following Jesus here and we're trying to, as we follow Jesus, point other people in his direction as well. And so, uh, no better place probably in the whole of the Bible to, to learn about being a disciple than here in the book of John, where Jesus is on display, his followers, uh, and their actions are ours to attest to and, and draw from. Um, we know that John, uh, as he wrote his gospel, wrote with, with purpose in chapter 20, verse 31, he says, I write these things so that you might believe and have life in Jesus' name, that you might believe and live uh, with Jesus. Uh, and, and it's no wonder then that he starts his book, like we've noticed over the last couple of weeks, talking about Jesus in this 18-verse prologue, this this preamble to the story he's going to tell about Jesus in his life, uh, he just says, here's who Jesus is. He starts this way. Uh, Jesus was in the beginning. Jesus was with God. And Jesus was and is God. Uh, that's like 50 sermons right there, just covering that, the breadth of those truths. He, he goes on to talk about Jesus as being our creator. Nothing was created except that he made it. Uh, he, he's the, the life and in him is the light and the, the darkness has not overcome the light and never will. Isn't that the great news? Um, he, he goes on to say that, uh, that Jesus came, the son of God came and he, he wrapped himself in skin. He became flesh and he dwelt or tabernacled amongst us. And in doing so, he became our, our perfect uh, um, um, example of how we're supposed to live. He became uh, the perfect sacrifice, uh, the sacrifice as a man for man. We talked about that last week. I mean, just the first 18 verses probably do more for our understanding of Christ than probably saturated wise any other section of scripture that we have. It's just, it's amazing. But it goes on from there to talk about the story of Jesus. The, the narrative picks up and it tells us who he was and what he did. It picks up, actually, uh, the, the, the book of John, the gospel of John is kind of sandwiched between two actual accounts of a seven-day week, eight days if you're counting uh, the resurrection. We'll get to that in a second. But this, this first couple chapters starts with a sequence of days. Check me on it. You can read. I won't be mad. You can go through John chapter 1 and chapter 2, and you'll see that over and over again it says, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and then three days later. It just basically gives us this first well, not the first seven days, but probably a first week of Jesus's um, ministry life. Uh, John ends with the last week of Jesus's earthly life before his death and resurrection. And it takes like eight chapters to describe that week that we call Holy Week, starting with Palm Sunday and concluding with Easter or the Resurrection uh, Sunday. So it's between these two weeks that we find the story of Jesus told in the Gospel of John. On the first day of this first week, in verse 19, if you're following along with me, we meet Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist. Uh, John the Baptist uh, is a key figure in the beginning years of Jesus' ministry. He's uh, uh, spoken of in the Christmas passages in Matthew and Luke. Uh, his, his role is to be uh, a forerunner, a precursor to the coming of our Savior, Jesus uh, that's a little bit about him. Why don't you turn to someone next to you, and, and if you're kind of new to the Jesus story, your answer to this question is going to be nothing. But if, <laughs> but if, you, uh, if you've been around church for a while, maybe you've heard a few things about Jesus or J John the Baptist, why don't you tell the person next to you the things that you know about John the Baptist? What do you know about John the Baptist? Go. 
Oh, very nice. Much more lively than the nine o'clock. Way to go. Although you're probably talking about lunch by now. Aren't you talking about lunch? Okay. He was a guy. Outback? Is that basically what's going on right now? Anyway. All right. Are you done? Okay. What'd you, what'd you say? Who's John the Baptist? What do you know about him? He was, he was a forerunner? Okay. Locust and honey. Way to go to the diet, Tobin. Way to go, bro. Yeah. Anybody grow up hearing about John the Baptist and be like, ew, he ate bugs. Yeah, he was a mountain man. I, I said Grizzly Adams in the first service. You've got to be a certain age. Uh, but maybe, uh, I don't know, like uh, uh, some kind of bearded dude. Oh, hi. Oh. Hey, give it up for Mickey. She's giving me water. It's very nice of you, Mickey. Very nice. Uh, he, he lived in the woods. I always pictured him looking like Tarzan because the Bible says he wore a loincloth. I always pictured him like, uh, all right. Someone in the first service said this about John the Baptist. He baptized. Way to go. Way to figure that out. That's absolutely true. Um, he was the first Baptist, perhaps. I don't know. Um, uh, but here, here's something that maybe you didn't share. Uh, two things, little people, you know, little known facts about John the Baptist. He, he alone inhabits these offices. He's the last prophet of the Old Covenant. Now, I know he's not in the Old Testament. He's in the New Testament. But he's the last prophet sent of God or by God to foretell of the arrival of the Messiah. Now, if you go to the Old Testament, there's all kinds of prophets that come to Israel and it's history to tell them to knock it off or to shape up or whatever they told them. But they would also, at different times talk about this Mashiach, which is the Hebrew word for anointed one, and we could say Messiah. And so uh, John has this distinct um, um, distinction <laughs> of being the last prophet. His father, Zacharias, after not being able to speak all through his wife's pregnancy, actually at the birth of John, at the naming of John, was finally loosed in his tongue. And he just, you can read it, it's in Luke chapter one. He just goes uh, you know, off on how his son will be a prophet who tells of the coming of the Messiah. John's the last prophet of the Old Testament. He's also, get this, he's the last of the Old Testament prophets. He's the first of the disciples of Jesus. Now, now some of you are like, wait a minute, what? And it's true. Mary and Joseph knew that Jesus was the son of God and then got kind of fuzzy from after that. Uh, you know, uh, we can argue that maybe they weren't 100% clear on that. Uh, but John, at uh, the baptism of, of Jesus, which at the telling of the story that we're going to read has already occurred, uh, looks across, you know, the, the Jordan River and he sees his cousin coming out of the woods and God opens his eyes and he's like, no way. My cousin is the Messiah. I've been going to family reunions with this guy for years, and it's him. And he, he at first doesn't want to baptize Jesus. Remember, he's like, no, 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 you dunk me. And Jesus, no, it's got to be just like this. And, and so John is the, he, and listen, it's not just that he recognized Jesus first. Because of God's prophecy, because of his appointment at birth, he, he was talking about Jesus before he even knew who Jesus was. And preaching a, a gospel of repentance and forgiveness and pointing people um, to this one that he wasn't even sure the identity, identity of. Last prophet, first disciple. Um, he was born, as I've already kind of alluded to, to be a hype man. Not Flavor Flav hype man, but like uh, uh, he's the opening act for Jesus. He, he warms up the crowd, as it were. Um, he, he's, he's here at the time that he's appointed to uh, make straight the way of the Lord now, John the writer, I have to make these, distinguish, these distinguishing remarks. John the writer and John the Baptist are two different people. And John the writer has this to say about John the Baptist 
already in the book as we've read it. Uh, look at chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. It says this, there was a man sent from God uh, whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. And he was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Uh, what John the writer told us about John the Baptist there is basically four things. The first one is this. John was sent from God. Does everybody pick that up? Do I need to go a whole lot into that? John didn't do what he did because he woke up one day and said, you know what would be cool you know, is, is if I went out and started telling people the Messiah was coming. No, he had been compelled since his birth uh, for this one thing. He was sent from God. He was also sent to be a witness for the light. John the writer makes that clear about John the Baptist. Um, he, he was a pointer. He, he, was, he was like the, the, the airline uh, associate that you're, you're looking to as you're deplaning on that plane that was late taking off from Tampa and now your connection flight to Chicago is gonna take off in 15 minutes and you panicked, uh, you know, you're in a panic state and you're hauling your, <laughs> your, your piece of luggage with you and you just come flying out of the, you know, the, the tunnel there that they let you walk into the airport through and, and you just look for someone in, in, the, in the airline's clothing. And usually they got someone standing there who's like, what's your connecting flight? And you tell them Chicago and they tell you gate B12 and then if they're good, they'll say run and then, they'll, then you'll just take off, right? Anybody been on that flight? Maybe not to the, uh, uh, you know, the energy there, well, probably John did have that energy and more as he pointed people to the place that they needed to go, to the person that they needed to go to. He was sent to be a witness for the light. He was sent, uh, he was, wit he was, <laughs> he witnessed so that others might believe in Jesus through him. This is an interesting uh, little addendum to uh, what John, the writer said about John the Baptist. He said he's, he came to be a witness to the light. Uh, and it says in verse seven, uh, the second part to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He expands this whole witness thing. It's almost as he's, if he's saying he didn't just grab a bullhorn and stand on the corner and say, the Messiah is coming. He didn't put on the sandwich board and saying the end is near. He didn't just put a, a bumper sticker on his car saying, you know, what church he went to. Although if you do that, please do. In fact, we have more out there if you'd like to put Baylife on your vehicle. But he didn't stop there. He didn't just make a couple posts with, you know, sunsets and, and little, you know, half verses tied to them on his Facebook, which is fine. Keep doing that, please. But, but he, he went beyond just the kind of, I'm with Jesus, I go to church, um, you know, you should too, to really rolling up his sleeves and getting into the lives of those that he was being a witness to. He, he would wrestle with their, 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 you know, their questions and, 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 and speak to their conflicts. He would, um, to the, to the point where they'd finally say, okay, I believe that what you're telling me is true, that the Messiah is coming. And then he'd take them down to the water and he says, okay, let's seal the deal. And he would baptize them, which, uh, the Greek word baptizo means to identify or to submerge, but it, he was submerging in the water and, and identifying with this message of repentance and preparation for the coming of the Messiah. He, he went further is my point. Then the last thing that John, the writer tells us about John the Baptist is that John wasn't the light. He was just pointing to Jesus. This was important in, in John's time because people often, they didn't have the internet, which I don't know if that helps all the time, but uh, they didn't have the, the many outlets that we have to gain our information from. Uh, they would, you know, just hear this thing and play telephone with it and it come out, you know, all messed up to where um, some would say that John the Baptist was the Messiah. In fact, we're going to see that kind of question posed to John the Baptist here in the text that we're studying today. Um, 
So John was trying to make clear that John the Baptist wasn't the Messiah, that's Jesus. But he's also pointing out uh, one of the key characteristics. We don't get everything about John the Baptist, but we do get this. He was a humble dude. He understood from the get-go that even as people followed him and, and listened to him teach, he was not the point in his story. He was the pointer, but he was never the point. He understood uh, what some of our songs have taught us as we sing them. This is probably 15, 20 years ago, I don't know, but this beautiful song came out, sung by a, a woman's voice, which does not sound anything like this, but it goes something like this. It's all about you, Jesus. Anybody know that one? And all of this is for you, for your glory and your fame. It's not about me, as if you should do things my way. You alone are God, and I surrender to your way. Something like that. Anybody remember it? Three of you? We used to use that as, a, as basically a, a, a way to kind of correct some of the students who were in our youth group at the time when they were getting a little selfish, a little whiny, a little all about them. We'd always flip the words around. And, it's all about you, Jason. And all of this is for you, for your glory and your fame. It's not about God because he should do things your way. Are you with me? That's, that's heresy, but done sarcastically. Very effective. It's totally effective. Snap some kids around. Now, I find it interesting that the gospel writer, John, um, in the midst of what is this theologically fraught section uh, in the first 18 verses of his gospel, kind of pops these three verses in there as an oh, by the way. He's talking about Jesus being the light, but then he just, hey, and here's John the Baptist. A couple things you need to know. Uh, he, he, he was a pointer to the light. He, he, he was appointed by God to do this. He wasn't the light. He did just all these, well, just what I just told you. He just pops it in there. And, and I, I talked about this last week or two weeks ago when we covered these verses initially. I wonder why John does that. I think it's because, as he uh, alludes to in his uh, writings on his purpose in John 20, where he says, I, I write this so that you can believe and have life in my name, right out of the get-go, he's, he's trying to help us understand, this is, what, this is what it means to have life in my name. Now, when you and I think about life in Jesus' name, we probably think about behaviors. We probably think about righteousness. We have to be good like Jesus is good. That's what it's like to have life in his name. And certainly that is in there, but, but for John, the, 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 uh, the writer, and for John the Baptist, certainly, they understood that to have life in Jesus' name is to have a life-bearing witness to Jesus' name. And so John writes about John the Baptist in the middle of the theology saying, hey guys, I hope you believe this. That's the first reason I'm writing. But I hope you live in his name. I hope you live bearing witness to his name. Because that's how this thing is going to get out. In fact, when Jesus saves you, it's not for you. It's for him to receive his glory first. Certainly for you that you might be saved from your sins. But it stops there. It quickly becomes about others who need that same salvation. They need to hear about it from you. And that's how this thing is going to grow. In fact, if you study church history at all, you understand um, that everybody who came to Christ in the early church understood that they themselves, not the apostles, not Paul or anybody else that they heard the gospel from, but they themselves had been deputized 
brought into the fold as fellow missionaries. Remember growing up and the missionaries uh, would come to visit your church and tell you what they were doing. They'd bring their slideshow, right? And they'd, they'd, uh, they'd show you pictures of this place where they lived, where they didn't have running water. And, and I remember as a kid being like, man, Lord, don't call me to that. I don't want to do that at all. I, that's not a job I am looking for, right? The only thing I'd, I'd less like to do is be a pastor. Just make sure I don't do that. How's it going? But I remember leaving church on, on those nights and thinking, missionary is a job. Missionary is a vocation. Missionary is this calling to a special group of people to go to special places and talk about Jesus. Nothing could be further from the truth. Look at me, missionaries. If you know Jesus, you're on his mission. And you are a carrier of his good news. You were called to Christ, certainly for what it will bring you, but you were called to the mission and what it will bring other people if you will only loosen your tongue and talk to them about your Jesus. We've got all kinds of reasons that we don't do this, right? Obviously, sin gets us focused on ourselves and we don't even care about Jesus, let alone talking about who he is and what he's done for us, right? There's those moments. Anybody want to testify? Just me? Okay, God will convict you. You do it too. Anyway, but then there's just the distractions. We are a society who is quickly losing its attention span. I looked this up uh, online. Uh, in 2000, uh, the first year of this particular study, um, people figured out that humans had about a 12-second attention span. They retook that test in 2015. It had shrunk to eight seconds. Just to put that in context, goldfish have a nine-second attention span. So we're about a second behind a goldfish, which is really, you know, foreboding for a preacher like me. Like, you've lost me 50 times already because you're listening to me like, yeah, that's a good point. I am wondering about lunch now. He mentioned lunch. Where are we going to eat? Now, some of you, you've been sleeping the whole time, and your attention is the back of your eyelids. Anyway, um, we get so engrossed, we get so distracted, we get so self-absorbed. We make church all about me, pastor fix my problems, pastor fix my marriage. And listen, I want to be a part of those solutions in your lives. Don't get me wrong. I pray for God to bring peace and hope and, and stability to everybody's lives here. But you know what my prayer for in, in, in the wake of that is? I pray that as you stabilize in life, you get on the mission. You become a part of what we've been called to. And if you don't, if we, if we fail to see our Christianity as something that goes beyond us, if everything terminates with us, then we haven't really understood the Christian life at all. Uh, just a few years ago, we've done it twice, but just a few years ago, um, I guess it was two because Darnish was here. We, we, we did the Bama seat. Was anybody here? Yeah, we did the Bama seat, which was kind of this theatrical uh, presentation of what's going to happen at the end. You're, some of you are like, what's a Bama? The German car? No. Uh, the Bama seat is, 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 a, is basically the, the seat where um, Jesus will sit in judgment over his church. There's a, a judgment seat, which is where uh, as life ends and as Jesus returns, uh, all of humanity will stand before God and, and will we'll separate the sheep from the goats. Those who are in Christ will join him in eternity and those who are without Christ will go elsewhere. But then that group that goes to see Jesus... Those who have had faith in Jesus and trusted in him and lived life in his name, believed him, all the things that John hopes for, um, they, they will stand before Jesus and he'll basically 
Roll the tape. He'll, you'll see your life. You'll see the things that you did. And he'll, he'll reward you for the things that you did in his name. And, and what we learn from that presentation is basically at the end, there's only a couple things that matter. Whether or not you knew Jesus, that's the first chair. That's the first seat. And then what you did for him, that's the second seat. Everything else stops, disappears, fades, doesn't matter. And if you saw that presentation, you saw in, in Tom's characterization the the angst of the, of the person who stands for Jesus, who wishes they could go back and, and, and you know, have, have another shot at, at so many other people and, and be that witness like John the Baptist was. But I wonder if we're, we're going to get there at the end. I, I hope this isn't true of us, but we're, I don't want any of us to get there at the end and think, man, I, I, I could have, I should have, if I had just said more. We all hate that. We all hate when we... We missed the whole point of whatever it is that we're going to go do. I, I got up on Friday morning, as I do most Friday mornings, excited to you know spend the morning with some people here from my, some guys from the church that I, I golf with on a regular basis. And so um, I, I essentially have a Friday morning routine. I wake up, I have my coffee, I talk to Eleanor, I grab a couple Gatorades from my fridge, I throw them in my, my golf bag, and then I head to the course. And on this last Friday, I, I skipped one of the pieces of my routine. I didn't put the Gatorades or grab the Gatorades and throw them in my trunk. No big deal. They got water. So I drive all the way there. It takes me 30 minutes from, from my house to the course. And um, I'm, all, you know, I'm a little late, but I you know, still got plenty of time. I'm, I'm popping out of my car and I'm, I'm clicking my trunk open. And the trunk opens and it is as empty as empty, empty. Because I had earlier in the week thought that maybe I'd be doing a car deal. I didn't do a car deal. But I'd taken everything out of my car in case I was going to turn it in. And I had forgotten to put all my stuff back in. And so there I am. Has anybody been here? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You went all this way for one thing, and that one thing cannot happen because you forgot the main thing in the one thing. Hard to play golf without clubs, I'm just telling you right now. I guess I could have kicked it. Some days I wish I, yeah. So I had to drive all the way back. But how many of us are gonna get to the end of life and pop the trunk, and there's really nothing there? We climb the ladder, we ascended our thrones, our earthly thrones. But when it comes to what lasts, was eternal. Sure, we'll pass on because of the life that God's given us and the grace of Jesus Christ, but have we taken that message and made a difference in the lives of those around us? That's a big question. It's a question that I've been asking myself all week. Well, in the brief time that I have left with us, I'm just gonna walk you through some of the verses. They're basically expansions of what John has already said in chapters, uh, or verses six through eight. Um, he's just gonna kind of walk through those four things, not in order, but in, in, in his own fashion. He's gonna start by telling us that Jesus was, uh, or that John was not the light. John the Baptist was not the light, but Jesus was. That's what it tells us in verse 19. And this is the testimony of John the Baptist as told by John the writer. Uh, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him this question, who are you, he's gonna give them an answer. Uh, the, the, the priests and the Levites, are the, the religious agents of the Jewish faith. Uh, in verse 24, it tells us that the Pharisees, this, this group who kind of you know, uh, saw themselves as the protectors of the Jewish faith, they were the, the all-stars, the one-percenters, as it were, in keeping the Jewish customs and the Jewish laws. They were the ones who had sent this entourage uh, of inquisition. And, and these uh, Levites and priests came to John and they asked him that question, who are you? Uh, John answers our, their question by uh, 
uh, telling them uh, who he's not. He starts by saying that, it, and John the writer says, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. That's kind of a clunky English sentence. Would everybody agree with me? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed. I'm like, yeah, I know. You said he confessed. You have to tell me twice. But in, in the Greek language, you would repeat things within even a small sentence to emphasize that John emphatically denied being the Christ. Now, the Jews of this uh, period of history, uh, like the Jews before them, had been awaiting the arrival uh, of the Messiah. And, and so anybody who did anything outside the norm, like John was doing, they're like, well, maybe this is him. But John says, no, it's not me. He also told them, I'm not the, I'm not the prophet. Here's what they asked next. He said, well, uh, uh, what then? Are you Elijah? And John said, John the Baptist said, I'm, I'm not. And he said, are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Uh, look what it says in Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. It, uh, in the very last two verses of your Old Testament, the prophet Malachi prophesies that uh, Elijah the prophet uh, will be sent to us before the great and awesome day of the Lord. Uh, so Israel had been long awaiting as kind of a sign of God's movement among them, the arrival of Elijah. And so, again, John the Baptist even looked like Elijah. If you've read the stories of Elijah, you know, he was kind of a mountain man too. And so they're like, are you Elijah? And John's like, no. Well, then they say, are you the prophet? And in Deuteronomy 18, in, in the second giving of the law, that's what Deuteronomy means, second law, um, Moses received from God this message. Uh, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, Moses says, from among you, from your brothers. It's, it is to him that you shall listen and so again, just like the Elijah prophecy, the Jews had been waiting for this unnamed prophet. And uh, John says, that's not me either. This, this goes on actually in the story of Jesus. Anybody remember when Jesus was asking his disciples, who do people say that I am? And his disciples reported to him what the word on the street was. He said, well, some say that you're John the Baptist. What? <laughs> Others say you're Elijah. Uh, others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets referring probably to the Deuteronomy 18 passage, there was a lot of confusion. So John set these guys straight. I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not Elijah. I'm not the prophet. And so they say this to them. Well, then who are you? Verse 22. We need to give an answer to those who sent us. Can't go home empty handed. What do you say about yourself? And this is what John says about himself. He says, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord just as the prophet Isaiah said. He's borrowing from Isaiah 40. Um, Isaiah 40 through the end of Isaiah's prophecy is basically a prophecy that gives us lots of amazing stuff, but it's essentially telling uh, Israel, hey, I know you're in captivity right now, because they were, but you're heading home. And God's gonna lead you back to the promised land that you were taken from into captivity. And so uh, this, this voice that's crying in the wilderness in Isaiah is this voice that says, hey, everybody, Israel's coming home. God's going to lead them. So look what it says. It says, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. This is Isaiah 40, verse 3. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. He's calling out the road crews. They're going to put up the orange cones. And we're going to make us a road. Every valley shall be lifted, every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. He says this, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. John says, I'm not, I'm not Jesus, but I'm, I'm his voice, or I'm a voice pointing to his arrival. Just as Isaiah proclaimed the return of Israel, uh, I'm proclaiming the coming of God 
in the form of his son. I'm just a voice. I'm just a servant. I'm a road paver. I'm making a way for his arrival. Does everybody uh, get that as we look at John, we're looking at who we're supposed to be? We're supposed to be a voice, just as John the Baptist was a voice. We're supposed to be uh, uh, servants in such a way that we pave the way. We usher people into the presence of our Savior Jesus. They can see him in what we do and in what we say. We need to get attention this year about being a, a voice and a servant to Jesus in such a way that it points people to him. Uh, at different times in our lives uh, here, it's been 17 years since Eleanor and I uh, got here, uh, we've been more effective in doing this because I'm like the rest of you guys. I get busy. I get busy serving Jesus that I don't have time or feel like I don't have time to talk to other people about him. Um, one of the first two or three years that we were here, uh, Eleanor and I decided we need to find some non-Christians to be friends with because we love you guys, but most of you guys already know Jesus. And so um, we joined a bowling league. Uh, asked me if I had bowled a bunch before that. I hadn't. Uh, but we figured, you know, where's a good place to find some people who don't know Jesus? Turns out, bowling alley is a pretty good place, right? And, uh, and so we got into this league and we got hooked up with this young couple that was on our team and we just started hanging out with them and befriending them and bowling poorly every Sunday night. And, uh, and over time, we got to share the gospel uh, with this young couple. Uh, still, even now, all these years later, uh, she's in and out of our lives. Um, we did that not for our love of bowling. We did that because we believe what we see in the life of John, that we're called to be witnesses. And we need to be intentional about that happening. The, the scouts from Jerusalem have one more question that they want to ask. So they ask and they say, well, why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? So they, they ask a, a religious question. Okay, so you're this voice. Thanks for quoting Isaiah, we're very familiar. Uh, but what's up with, with you dunking people in the river? They're asking this because baptism wasn't this uh, common thing in, in Judaism. In fact, it was only really exercised uh, when proselytes or, or new converts to the Jewish faith would come from outside the Jewish faith, Gentile existence, into the Jewish faith. Then, then you'd be baptized. The only thing they really used water for was like their ceremonial cleansing. Like I went to the Temple Mount in Israel five, six years ago now, and I saw one of these uh, outside the Temple Mount. There was about 40 of them, 40 or 50 of them, that kind of surrounded the temple there in Jerusalem. And they're basically baths. They dug holes into the stone and they created little staircases. Can you see kind of the divider between the two? On the one side, that was the in staircase and on the other side was the out staircase. So if you wanted to give a sacrifice and you had to go through ceremonial cleansing, fellas, you would go on behalf of your family, you'd strip down to your nothing and you would walk into this bath and walk back out and then you could go inside and give your, give your sacrifice. Never clean the water, by the way. I don't know how clean these people were, but... Uh, but even as you did that, every, every cleansing, even every baptism that would bring you into Judaism, you just go out in the river and you dunk yourself. So here's John, one of the first dunkers. And he's showing that you can't do this on your own. Repentance and forgiveness has to be done for you, with you. Uh, pointing to the work that Jesus would accomplish on our behalf. And so these, these, uh, this, this contingency from Jerusalem says, what are you doing? You can't be doing this stuff. Remember what John said? He said this, I, I'll tell you what I'm doing. I, I baptize with water, sure. He doesn't really tell him what he's doing, but he points to Jesus because that's his whole thing. 
He's a pointer. I baptize with water, but among you stands one that you do not know. Just a little pin in this. How cool it would be if Jesus was actually hanging out during this conversation. Like, can you picture John? You know, Jesus is over there behind the contingency, and John's kind of like, we don't know that for sure. Maybe he was just talking about the fact that there's um, the Messiah's here. You, you, you don't know who he is yet, but, but this one who comes, who stands among you that you do not, do not know, verse 27, he, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal, sandal I am not worthy to untie. Now, I baptize with water, but in the other gospels, he says someone's going to come who's going to baptize in the spirit. And, I'm, and, and it says this in most of the gospels. I'm not even fit to tie his shoes. Um, uh, shoes uh, were the, 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 the responsibility of servants. Anybody remember the, when Jesus washed the disciples' feet? Remember he puts on the towel and stuff like that, and they all had to fight about who was going to you know, wash feet? Well, that was a servant's job, and that's why I was such a, oh, not you. Well, servants would undo the sandals and wash the feet of their masters. Uh, it, it, it shifted over into to rabbis and their followers. Rabbis were teachers, and if you were following a certain rabbi, you wouldn't be his servant, but you would show your submission to the rabbi by performing this one servant's task. You would wash your rabbi's feet. And what does John the Baptist say about his foot washing or his sandal untying prospects? Not even fit to touch the laces, y'all. Not even fit to touch laces. Now, would it surprise you that later on in the story of Jesus, he says that there was no one greater in all of human history than John the Baptist. So here's the picture we have. John the Baptist, you know, uh, pinnacle of human existence, isn't even fit to touch the shoes of the one that he is witnessing about. Where does that put us? Tough spot. But God in his grace calls us to a life with him. It's all going to hinge on whether or not we can get out of our own way. Has anybody ever heard that? If he could just get out of his own way. As Christians, uh, that is our daily hope, our daily prayer. Lord, get me out of my own way. John says this later in uh, this same gospel. John the Baptist says this of himself. He says, he must increase but I must decrease. He says, he who comes <clears throat> from above is above all, and he who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way, referring to him and us, but he who comes from heaven is above all. He must increase, and I must decrease. Like him, here's, here's my point if you haven't picked it up. Like him, uh, we are sent from God, as John the Baptist was. We are sent to be witnesses for the light, who is Jesus. We are witnessed we are two witnesses so that others might believe in Jesus. We need to stay in it. Now, we aren't the light. Jesus is. You can't do this in every passage, and maybe you shouldn't even do it here, but I think it, it might help. Put your name in the, in the passage that I, I read as we began. Look what it says if you, if you do that. Uh, John 1, verse 6. This is me. There was a man sent from God whose name was Mark. Mark came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him as God would give me grace. Mark was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. You can put your name in there. Ladies, you just have to change the pronouns to hers. But that's us. Does everybody get that? That's not just John the Baptist. That's just not the, the really special Christians. That's us. We are called to be witnesses. Let me close with these questions. 
Are you and I living life as someone sent from God? That's first, right? I told you earlier in the year that I want you to ask these questions every week. How am I doing as a disciple? Who am I reaching as a disciple maker? It starts with how you're doing as a disciple. You'll never get to disciple making if you're a lousy disciple, just so you know. So is that, am I living my life as someone sent from God? Am I a witness for the light who is Jesus in the things that I say and do? Am I witnessing in such a way that others will believe in Jesus through me? Am I, <laughs> am I relentless? Am I willing to, you know, be rebuffed and, and rejected and, and continue in, in loving people? Jesus changes lives. Does everybody believe that? He's changed ours. He could change someone else. And he'll, he chooses to do it through his witnesses. Am I witnessing in such a way that others will believe in Jesus through me? And then finally, do I understand and accept that I am not the point? Oh, it's not about me. My life, if I'm a Christian, is meant to be about Jesus and who he is through me. He's my primary objective in my existence, the center. And that's why we sing this song together. Will you stand with me as we close?